Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. Well, this is our fourth session today, and we're going to move into the area of talking about our offensive mode in spiritual warfare. We've, we've been concentrating on the defensive stand, and when we talk about defense, we're talking about the attack of the enemy on our lives personally. This is the attack that comes against our self-worth, it comes in the forms of lies against God's word. It comes in the form of accusation when, when the enemy, many, enemy would say to us, who do you think that you are that you can do anything for the kingdom of God? And see, that that's always comes under attack as we, as we move and as we seek to move in God's will. There's going to be this hindrance. And, and what refutes him is, is standing on the truth of the word of God. And, and all of us in the defensive stand, we need to evaluate our thoughts. We need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because Satan will slip thoughts in on us in order to try to steer us away and make us ineffective in our spiritual warfare. On the second session, we talked about the armor of God. And very briefly this morning, let me complete the armor of God. The first thing we talked about was the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness... Uh, excuse me, we talked about tenderloins first. And this has to do with our emotions and our feelings. We need to be aware that the enemy comes as a roaring lion and, and can seek to paralyze us with attacks of fear, um, depression, discouragement. Those kinds of things come. We need to, to defend ourselves against that by walking in truth and walking in the light. We looked at number two about the bulletproof vest. We have the breastplate of righteousness. This has to do with us operating in right motives. We've got to walk with right motives in order to, to, to keep our hearts protected by the breastplate of righteousness. And the way that we do that is that we walk in truth. We're real and honest and sincere. So we live a life of openness. And by the way, that's what humility is. Humility is simply an openness and a transparency about your life. That's what, that's, what, that's what biblical humility is. And a person that walks in the light, the enemy has a difficult time getting, getting a finger, getting a toehold in that person's life. That's because that, that's the, the remedy for that. The third thing, the third part of the armor of God, is to put on the gospel shoes of peace. This is what I call the anointed Adidas. Anointed Adidas. We need to be mobile and we need to be ready to share the good news at any moment. Isaiah 52.7, we sing this chorus. How lovely on the mountain are the feet of them that bring good news. See, God's anointed our feet to be ready to share the good news. The preparation comes in that we need to always be preparing ourselves as um, it says in Timothy that we're to be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have within us. We need to be ready to talk to people about why we believe as we do, why we believe Jesus. And we're to, we're to be ready, see, to give an account of our, of our testimony. The, the attack in this area comes in the form of tribulation and, and, and attempts to silence our witness. You ever, have you ever wanted to witness to someone and felt just this opposition? 
that says you better be quiet, you better not say anything. What are they going to think of you if they find out that you're a Christian, that you're into that God stuff and all that? You ever felt that pressure? See, that's that's the enemy. And we need to be we need to be willing to blast through that. We need to be willing to to take dominion over that. And we we counterattack that by being bold in our stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we're bold in our stand and we proclaim the gospel. The fourth thing is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. In the olden days when when warfare took place kind of on a one-to-one basis, warriors carried a shield and they lifted up the shield and what, what did the shield repel? The arrows and blows and they used it as a defensive weapon and held it up so that the arrow didn't penetrate it and, and, and harm their body. We have the shield of faith. And the form of attack, particularly in this area, comes in the form of lies about God's character. It comes in the form of lies about God's character. You get into a situation where there's a crisis, and then the enemy comes and says, God has forgotten about you. How can God be faithful to you and you lose your job? Say, How can God be faithful to you? How can God love you? And you lost your parents in a tragic accident. See, that's how those flaming missiles come to wound us. And remember, remember what I told you. That we're in a, a very real spiritual battle. And there's very real flaming missiles. This is not just theory. This is real stuff. And, and, and sometimes there's, you're going to have to hold up the shield of faith. In, in, in the face of attacks that are going to come. Where it seems that God is not being fair to you. God, how can you do this to me when I've been serving you faithfully? And then you allow this to happen. The kind of thing that happened with Job. Job was doing everything right. And all of this this barrage of of unfortunate circumstances come into his life. And see, we need to hold up the shield of faith. And we need to say, I don't understand why I don't have a job. I don't understand why my parents died. But I know that God is faithful. And that's how I hold the shield of faith up. I think the basis of faith of us becoming bitter and resentful is always a question of the character of God. And if I operate in faith, I always maintain as my premise that God is good, that He's just, that He's righteous, that He's merciful. See, I maintain that. And I say, I may not understand the circumstances, but I maintain that God is a good God. And I'm not going to doubt and question that. That's what Job did. See, in in, in the midst of that incredible trial, Job maintained his faith in who God was, in the character of God. So we need to refute that. And we, and we refute that by the word of God, once again. We, we have faith in who God is. We have faith in his character. And we're able to say like Job, he said, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even though he would slay me, yet I will trust him to the very end. It's important that you hold the shield of faith up. Because the enemy will seek to vandalize you. He will seek to scandalize you when you get in circumstances that you don't understand. And, and remember, God allows certain things like this to come into our lives in order that we might be built up in our character. So it's just part of this, this whole process of battling and the image of Christ being worked in us. And all of us at different times are going to go through tests that, that we're going to have the temptation to question the character of God. And if I maintain my confidence in who God is, if I maintain an attitude of gratefulness, boy, that's a big one. If you maintain a grateful attitude, 
the enemy is, is going to have very little opportunity to get into your life. It's when we start grumbling and complaining and saying, boy, I, I really have a right to be treated better than this. That's when the enemy gets a toehold in our lives and he could begin to nurse a root of bitterness in our lives. And a root of bitterness will take you out of active ministry. You cannot never wage effective spiritual warfare and have bitterness in your life. You, just, you, you have to keep free of bitterness and keep free of resentment. And we do that by trusting the shield of faith. Number five is the helmet of salvation. This is hard hats for soft heads. We all have soft heads. And the helmet protects our minds. And again, this is another attack that comes in the mind. It can come in, in the area like of fantasies and passivity and apathy. In the realm of fantasies, ungodly fantasies, and apathy and passivity. We counterattack by taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We're to take every thought captive to the, to the obedience of Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 So we need to take every thought captive. I was really challenged by a lady I heard some years ago teach, uh, a lady named Joy Dawson. And she said that she wanted to come to the place in her life where all of her thoughts could be written out on a blackboard and for everyone to see every thought that, they shot, that, that she thought that day and that she wouldn't be ashamed of any of them. She would be willing that it all be projected up there and that she could look at it and say, I'm, I'm pleased with what I thought about today. Most of us would go, <gasps> if that were to happen, wouldn't we? Because our thoughts are not righteous. We have a lot of darkness within us. But that's, what, that's the goal. See, God wants us to take every thought captive so that every thought I think, Jesus is pleased with it. It's not a thought of crit criticizing or judging my, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, not being critical of people, not thinking that, boy, I can do things better than them, not thinking of th thoughts of pride. See, God wants us to take our thoughts captive so that we're thinking thoughts that are pleasing to the Lord. And if you will take on the challenge to monitor your thought life, then you'll, you'll walk in the light. So you'll walk in the Spirit the way that Jesus wants you to do. And then number six is the sword of the Spirit. And this is our offensive weapon. And I'm not going to say any more about that right now. But we're going we're gonna to look at that in the context of our offensive weapons. Now I passed out a sheet to you. And those of you who didn't get one, there's plenty here after class you can get one. What this is, is... This is a sheet that I call our daily confession. This sheet is taken from scriptures from the New Testament. And these are things that are true about you. And it's very important that we are building a biblical self-esteem in our lives. So that the enemy cannot rob us and take away who Jesus has made us to be. And I would suggest that you take scriptures similar to this... And that you write them out and every day confess what God says is true about you. Now, I understand that today with uh, some of the prosperity teaching, there's been a perversion of the, con the teaching of confession. But we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because confession is an important biblical reality. It's an important New Testament teaching. So instead of confessing that I get a Cadillac, and that's kind of the overused stereotype of the confession movement, but when, I need to confess who I am in Christ. And when things get going hard, I need to, I need to remind myself that God is, if God is for me, 
then who is against me? I am accepted in the Beloved. Today I am forgiven. Today I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you will do that, you will find something new and dynamic beginning to work in your life. As, and, and, and as you're walking in obedience to the Spirit, if you will allow yourself to be built up and let, let your mind and train your mind to look at yourself the way God sees you, then you're going to find strength rising as a spiritual warrior. And you're going to have a lot uh, better success in repelling the attacks of the enemy. Okay? Any, any questions about that? I want to move on now to our offensive stand. Okay? The defensive stand is protecting ourselves from, from the enemy penetrating our own lives. And that's like gaining the personal victory. The offensive stand is where now the Lord sends us against this formidable kingdom of darkness that is being perpetuated in the earth by the powers of darkness. And God has told the church to go get him in my name. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we see Satan's kingdom as a kingdom that's a fortress, that's, you know, that's armed, that's boarded up, that needs to be penetrated. And we penetrate that by our prayers. Remember the fortresses that we're talking about are the principalities over nations principalities over cities. We're talking about false religions. We're talking about false philosophies. We're talking about the stronghold that money and drugs and pornography. See, this, this, recent, this recent commission on pornography that has come out with uh, the Attorney General Edwin Meade. See, that is not just a natural happening, but I believe that's a response to the prayers of God's people. See, God's people have been praying, Oh, Lord, raise up a standard against the pornography that is in this land. Oh, Lord, give us law enforcement officials that will enforce the laws that are already on the book. And see, as people begin to ask, as the church has prayed around the nation and around the world, we see these natural events beginning to take place. And the enemy does not sit back silently, does he? Did you know that Playboy magazine is suing every, every panel member on that commission personally? because their sales of pornography has gone down. And they're holding this commission liable. See how the enemy uses natural things? We need to stand with them. The, the whole abortion issue, the, uh, what, is, what is being uh, um, spurred through the last day's ministry uh, in, uh, uh, for, with the Americans against abortion. See, that's a response of prayer. Now, we need, we need to do the practical things, but we need to do the... Spiritual things. And that, see, the spiritual battle is one first in prayer, then we go and march and write letters, be involved in politics and that sort of thing, and we see answers. It's not one or the other. It's they both have to work together. But, some, but the answers that we're seeing to prayer are a result of many hours and many people praying and fasting in the quiet places of their prayer closets. And we start seeing these, these, uh, these victories beginning to be won. Several years ago in uh, Bellingham, when, uh, when Bellingham made, took the lawsuit of, um, of them not being able to meet on campus, they took it to the state court and then it was appealed and finally it went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court affirmed that, that, uh, that uh, religious groups have a right to meet on university campuses. And that was, that was a great process, but that, that battle was won in prayer. And some of you that were you know, involved uh, in that, during that time knew the calls to prayer that took place. See, that battle was won first in the heavenly places, and then they, they had to go through the legal process, hire lawyers and do all that. But see, we won the battle in prayer first, 
And then we did in, worked in the natural, and, it, and, and, and God gave us a victory. And now the whole nation has freedom to have university Christian groups on campus without intimidation from the administration. We won that freedom legally. And that was a spiritual battle that was won. And God will give us parts of the spiritual battle that he wants us involved in. Obviously, we all can't pray for everything. There's too many things to pray for. But what, what I find is that God will burden you for a particular area. Maybe you'll be burdened for the Islamic world. Maybe another person will be burdened with the drug problem. Maybe another person will be, uh, will be burdened with maybe some political problems. Others will be burdened for a particular town or a particular nation. See, God can guide us and direct us and give us the front that we're to be battling on. But that's where the offensive mode of the church is. And I, and I think we have got a lot to learn as far as what the prayer ministry of the church is. How we unite together and we pray unitedly in Jesus' name. Well, let's look again at Ephesians 6. Our key, cha- our key chapter on spiritual warfare. And let me read again. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, and in the strength of His might. And you're going to need the strength of His might to do what He's calling us to do. You put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Those are the designed, planned attacks. Not just the static that Satan is putting out in the earth, but they're designed attacks to perpetrate his evil kingdom. Clever, cunning, plans that are laid centuries, I think, in advance. Just like God works from generation to generation, so does Satan. And so we're, we're, that's what we understand. We're up against a mastermind of evil. Verse 12, for our struggle... Is not against people, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Where is the battle once again? Heavenly places. How do you fight in the heavenly places? Prayer. Exactly. Boy, if there's one thing you learn, we learn that. People, not, not, people are not our enemy. The drug pushers, the politicians... You know, communists, terrorists, PLO, they are not our true enemy. The enemy is the powers of darkness that are using them and manipulating them. And that's where we fight. Therefore, because we're in this battle, you take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist. Notice the activeness of these words. You take up, be active, take up, resist. See, you can't just sit back. You've got to resist, be active. You've got to put energy into this thing. And having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm. See, take a stand. That's that's what a lot of what spiritual warfare is. Taking a stand. I will not think thoughts that are contrary to the will of God. I will not tolerate these perverse thoughts that run around in my mind. I'm going to take them captive. I'm going to think thoughts of love towards my brothers and sisters. I'm going to think thoughts according to God's word, not according to my perverted selfishness. See, it's taking a stand and being active. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petitions, pray at all times in the Spirit, And with this in view, beyond the alert, with all perseverance and petition, 
for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. See, Paul understood that it was the prayers of the church that were giving him his successes. It wasn't just that Paul was a great apostle. He was that. But he says, I recognize that the battle is a spiritual battle and you all need to join with me so that together the church will win the victory. Remember that the spiritual battles are going to be won collectively, not just by one or two of us mavericks in prayer, but it takes all of us working together. That's how formidable the powers of darkness are. We, just, we don't have enough strength in one of our prayers to hinder the, the massive workings of the enemy, but together we do. See, Together we all can work at it, and, and Jesus can, can, can bring the, the victory to us. Now let's look at the offensive stand and how we take a, an offensive stand. In Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's asking them another unusual question and he says, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say that you're Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say this, some say that. And he turns to them and say, but who do you say that I am? Now he'd been with them quite a while, so this is kind of an unusual question for Jesus to ask, but he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter seems to be the, the vocal one of the disciples, so he spits out his answer. And he says, uh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this time he was right. And so Jesus commends him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, a spiritual re a revelation happened in Peter's life and he saw that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the anointed one. He didn't just deduce that by his own mental thinking, but something spiritual happened to him and he saw that Jesus was the Messiah. And then he says to you, I say to you that you are Peter. Peter means little stone, little stone. And upon this rock, upon this rock, and I believe that this rock is referring to the revelation of Christ. Not the historical Christ, but the revelation of Christ. And he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades, shall not overpower it. So as we receive revelation of who Christ is, that's where our authority comes to march against the powers of darkness. And then he says in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, who's got the keys now? Who? We do. The church does, yeah. See? You know, the, the, first of all, Satan had the keys. You saw that last night in that wonderful play that we saw. Satan had the keys there. And, and, and in his fight with Jesus, he overcame it and overpowered him, and the demons celebrated. They said, man, we've done it. We've, got the, we, we've conquered the Son of Man. Until the Father started counting down instead of up. And Jesus rose from the dead and he takes the keys away. And then he takes them and he says, here you go. My church, you have the keys now. Now you mop up the job that I won. See, we're in the mop up operation. The, 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 the outcome has already been determined. And he's given it to us to take the keys and to finish off the work. Say, go in my name and, and do, do what I've told you to do. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever... You shall bind on earth, shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you shall loose on earth, shall have been loosed in heaven. 
And I believe this is a primary passage for us to understand the power of attorney that Jesus has given to the church. Who does the binding on earth? We do. We do that through prayer. And then the Lord responds in the heavenlies and things take place in the heavenly places. And like I shared with you a few times ago, I'm not sure how the spiritual battle works, you know. It, I don't know if they shoot bullets, if they're wrestling up there. It's a moral conflict, you know. But, it, but uh, the way the demons cowered when Jesus got up last night, I, I, am, I am convinced that's true. The demons are afraid of the Son of, Son of God. And you know what? The demonic powers are afraid of you when you walk in the Spirit. When we are walking in unity with Jesus, they are terrified of us. And we have the awesome power to destroy Satan's kingdom. And we don't even realize the power that we have. See, we don't even realize the authority Jesus has given us. And he says, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. That means it happens in prayer first. Then the answer is going to be manifested in the natural realm. And whatever you loose on the earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And so I believe that as, as we perceive this, the kingdom of Satan, as we see the, the areas on earth that are bound by his kingdom, then we begin praying. See, we begin binding that in the name of Jesus. And understand, see, that spiritual warfare, it isn't just a matter of going up to somebody and putting handcuffs on them and saying, well, it's all done, they're bound. It's, it's a wrestling. And so as I pray, see, I put spiritual pressure on the powers of darkness. And so it's not a matter of me just praying this prayer one time and saying, well, I bind Satan in all the earth. Amen. It's done. We won. No, it's not that easy because it's a wrestling match. See, it's a moral conflict. And as we persevere in prayer and as we continue to petition the Lord for the, for the burdens that we have for people, see, then pressure is put upon the powers of darkness. And as we persevere, one day there's going to come a victory and then we're going to see the answer. We're going to see people set free. We're going to see open doors for the gospel to go forth. Sometimes the victories come quickly. Other times it takes a long time. I don't understand how all of that works except that the Lord teaches us as we learn to pray. Let me give you a couple of, an exa- a couple of examples. Several years ago, there was a, a political figure, a guy named Burt Lance, and uh, he was going to be a member of President Carter's cabinet. And he was accused of having some wrong financial dealings. And, and, and so I was listening to the news one night, and the accusations came forth, and then they, they showed Burt Lance. And he got on, and he was saying, well, they'll look, but they'll find nothing in my past. And he was really arrogant, and this really rubbed me wrong, the way he said that. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that man is lying. And the Lord said, pray that he be publicly exposed. So I said, okay, Lord. So I started praying that. I started saying, Lord, I believe this man's lying. And I pray that you, you reveal the lies. And you know, within two weeks, it all came out that he, was, that he indeed had handled, mishandled finances and that pretty much canceled his public life as a politician. Now, I'm not saying it was just my prayers, but that, see, the Holy Spirit gave me something to pray for. And, and as a result of that, I saw the, the vivid answer to my prayers in a very short time. And that's, that's why I believe the Lord see, can give us prayers to pray. So the Lord can give us things that he, that he wants righteousness in the earth. And the Lord can help us by, by praying that way. Another year, we had been praying and fasting on our campus. This was back in 1977. 
And we were praying that the Lord would, would give us an open door to preach the gospel on campus. And I had no idea what was going to happen, but I was really praying, praying for something big to happen, you know. And it's, I'd spent a, a, a bit of time in fasting and prayer and that, and that sort of thing. And, and what happened is that the, our school newspaper printed a, a series of articles on, on homosexual lifestyle. Now, that, back in 77, this was pretty new for Montana. It was really the first time I'd seen anything that public and that brazen. And it, it would, the, the, the goal of the article was to make it acceptable. It's like, hey, these folks are all right. You know, it's just a different way of living. And uh, I, decided, I, I, I saw that and I was angry inside. You know, I was vexed and I thought, this is not right. And so I said, Lord, I've got to do something. And so I wrote a letter in the editorial section. And... I didn't know what, what would happen. I really wasn't expecting anything to happen at all. But I said, I've got to take a stand for righteousness. And I've got at least, you know, because I'm a campus minister here, I've got to let everybody know that this is wrong and let, let um, people know what God thinks about it. And what I did is I wrote a little introduction and I took Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 from the Living Bible. I just plagiarized it and I just worked it into my letter and, uh, and then signed my name. And... I tell you, it was like lighting a can of gasoline on fire because it erupted into a controversy that lasted for six months on our campus. We had a great opportunity to preach the gospel. I got to speak in classes. This whole thing was just, it was, it was an amazing thing that happened. The gay group that year was seeking recognition as a student group and they took their cause to the student senate. And boy, we were praying and fasting against this thing. And the student senate voted 19 to 1 to not recognize them on, on the basis of morality. And it was a defeat for them. Uh, it was a humiliating public defeat. And it's, again, it wasn't because of what we did so much in the natural as we took the battle to the heavenly places. And see, God will give us opportunities. There's, I believe every day there's opportunities for us to speak the gospel into to life situations and that if, as, as the time is right and, and the Lord has prepared our hearts in prayer, those things can, can become issues. And the thing that happened is a lot of people looked at Christianity on our campus that probably would have just gone merrily along their way. See, it became an issue and people started asking questions. Some were for it, some were against it. Some people were in the middle, but, but everyone had to take a look at it on our campus. And it, be, it became a tremendous opportunity to confront people. So I think God can give us things like that. And I believe that comes through prayer. One time, when this was several years ago, I was seeking the Lord to understand this dimension of spiritual warfare. And the Lord gave me a dream or a, just a, a mental picture. And what I saw is I saw myself... And I was seeking to be a warrior. And, and there was given to me a gleaming silver sword. And, and that was the sword of the Spirit, which was the Word of God. It was gleaming. It was sharp. It was a beautiful war instrument. And, and the Lord told me to go forth and conquer. And, then, and as I looked in this dream, I saw in the heavenly places, it was like a, a puppet stage. And there were all of these puppet strings that were attached to various events on the earth. And, and events on the earth were being manipulated by these powers in the heavenly places, much like uh, uh, a puppeteer would operate his puppets with strings. And, and the Lord told me to go forth and conquer. And as I took the sword, I would hack against a string, and that string would break, 
And then down on the earth, there would be a corresponding freedom that would take place. And there would be a, a lack of satanic control over that area. And then people were more free to respond to the gospel. And I looked, I thought, wow, this is pretty neat. So I went, pew, pew, and started, you know, started pew, cutting the cords. And, and, and the Lord was teaching me that, Dick, this is what happens when you pray. You are breaking satanic control over the minds of people. And that opens their minds then to begin to hear the gospel. Understand, they still have to make their own decision. Some will still reject it, even though they know what they're doing. But at least they've had the opportunity to hear. And then, not only were there little strings, but there were ropes that were bigger. And then there was massive cords and, and, and things as big as tree trunks that represented control of entire nations and kingdoms. And so I, I started hacking away at some of those. After a while, I got tired, and I thought, oh, man, I'm never going to get through it with a sword. So I had to call other people, other believers, and they came with their swords. And we were all there hacking away and whacking away at these big trees. And finally, we hacked enough, and the thing broke. And what happened is that there was a big splash of light that came down on the earth, and a whole door was open for the, for the preaching of the gospel in a particular nation or an area. And, and, and from that understanding... From that, that, that picture, that dream that the Lord gave me, I believe that's what happens in spiritual warfare. Sometimes the victory comes quickly. Other times there's a wrestling that takes place. And it takes a lot of us praying and, and fasting and uniting together in order to see the strongholds of Satan destroyed and a, break forth, a breakthrough that comes forth in the name of the Lord. You understand that? If this sounds kind of fishy... Um, it's just something the Lord has to lead you into. It's not something that we naturally comprehend very well. But I believe as we pre pre present ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be used in spiritual warfare, the Lord will begin to take you and train you and give you prayer targets where you can begin to see these kinds of things happening in your life. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6, Paul says that we are destroying strongholds that we are destroying speculations and every thought raised up against the knowledge of God. And these are the strongholds of thought in the earth. These are these strongholds that we spoke of, of philosophies, of false religions, of satanic lies. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the sisters here mentioned that uh, a girl that had had a fortune given to her, and it, and it wasn't from God. And uh, I had opportunity to pray with this lady. And some guy who had... Um, who had some mental problems and obviously had a, a, a spirit, a, a, an alien spirit working in his life, had given this girl predictions of the future and said, this is going to happen in your life and this is going to happen and all this stuff. Now her sin in the matter was that she didn't reject that, but she was interested and we're all interested in the future, aren't we? But see, it's unlawful for us to seek supernatural information apart from Jesus because it's going to come from Satan and it'll ultimately destroy us. Well, things began to happen in her life, just as this guy had said. And she thought, wow, this, this is really heavy. It's happening just like this, this prediction was coming true. And what she found in her life now is her life was in bondage to this thing. She felt that, man, I'm destined by something to fulfill this, this, you know, this prediction that came from this guy. And, and as, as I ministered to her, and she, under, she began to understand that this was a lie. Jesus, this was a satanic lie. It wasn't from God. And so she repented of having um, given place to it in her life. 
She renounced it and, and repented before the Lord, received the forgiveness of God, and we took dominion over that thing in the name of Jesus, and we, we, we prayed that her heart would be free. And she said, as soon as we finished praying, she says, man, I'm free. It's gone. See, it's gone. See, that's because when we operate, things of Satan have spiritual power over our minds. See, do- horoscopes, demonic predictions, those things have mental power. It's not just, a, it's not just a, a natural battle that we're fighting. It's a supernatural thing, and she was set free in the name of Jesus. See, God's given us the victory over thing, and we destroyed, see, that speculation that was raised up against the knowledge of God. Okay, now let me give you some weapons that we need to use in our warfare. We don't come in our own strength. We don't come in our own power. But we come with weapons that are divinely powerful. And that are able to destroy strongholds. The first one, the first weapon is the Word of God. The Word of God. You might just jot Matthew 4 down. We don't have time to look at these scriptures in very much detail today. But Jesus, after his 40-day fast, he was tempted by the devil himself. Jesus fasted for 40 days, and then came his time of temptation. And Satan came to him with three temptations. Uh, Let me just read one of them. Verse 3 of Matthew 4. And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If, if you are the Son of God, what, what what, what thought does that bring to you? doubt it's kind of a dare isn't it hey prove yourself boy tell you (laughs) show me yeah yeah if you're the son of god then prove it by turning these stones to bread subtle temptation that's why all of us are vulnerable to satan's temptations because he always appeals to our pride hey prove yourself show how good you are Show that you've got the goods. Ooh, dangerous, dangerous temptation. And we're all very vulnerable to it. And Jesus, see, Jesus knew who he was. He didn't have to prove himself to anybody. And he said to Satan, he said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus stood on the written word of God. Even though he was the son of God, he had all authority, yet he did not just take his own authority he took the authority of the written word of God and that is a powerful weapon in our mouths in in the armor of God it says that we have the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and it's as we speak the word of God in faith that's where spiritual power goes forth there's something that's why I gave you this confession sheet there's something very powerful about our words and when I confess when I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, I'm saved, aren't I? That's what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says. So if, as I confess the promises of God, as I believe them in my heart, so I've, got to, I've got to believe them in my heart, but as I say them with my mouth, something happens. Spiritual power goes forth. And so the weapon of the Word of God is used as we pray the Word of God. You will, you will not pray any more effective prayers than if you use the That's why if, when you fast, drink lots of water. Just you drink, uh, you know, a good, good gallon a day isn't bad. Um, I suggest you not, uh, when you fast, that it, a fast in the scripture is, is total abstention from food and from fruit juices and that sort of thing. 
actually, biblically, you know, if you drink juices and stuff, it's a diet. It's not really a fast. Um, now, there's some freedom before the Lord. Some people take fruit juices. That's something you work out with the Lord. You know, God's not a legalist about these things. But technically, a fast is eating no food. But it does include drinking a lot of water. And take the time that you would normally spend in eating, set that aside for prayer. It doesn't, it, it isn't, it doesn't do any good just to not eat, but we need to do the positive thing, and that's we are fasting for the purposes of prayer. You know, we're, we're wanting to set aside time for prayer. Yes, yes. Can I have you do it after class? Would, would that be okay? All right, I, I, I'm just, I'm feeling the time pinch here, but I, I'd be happy to hear that after class. Isaiah 58, you might just jot that chapter down. That's a chapter that, that describes God's chosen fast. That we need to fast for the right motives and we need to fast in order to undo the bands of wickedness and to help the people that are afflicted. That's what the true meaning of a fast is. And I challenge you to read that scripture. I believe if we're going to become effective in our prayer, that fasting, some facet of fasting needs to be included. Okay? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, and when you fast, he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. So it's presumed by the Lord that as good disciples, we will from time to time be found fasting. The fifth weapon is speaking in tongues. It's praying in the, in the language of the Spirit. Paul says two things in 1 Corinthians 14. In verse 18, Paul says... I speak in tongues more than all of you. I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul was a great lion of God. And Paul is not against speaking in tongues. What he's addressing in 1 Corinthians 14 is the proper role of tongues in the public meeting. There's more to church than just getting together and speaking in tongues. And that's what he's directing there. But he said, in my personal life... I speak in tongues more than all of you. And he was chastising them for excess in their public meetings. So Paul is not saying that it's bad, but he says use it in the proper place. And that's in your private devotional life. It says in verse 4 of the same chapter that praying in the Spirit builds yourself up. Praying in tongues is like a spiritual battery charger. And as I pray in that language and as I allow the language of the Spirit to come out of my mouth, I am charging and building up my inward man and that's preparing me to face the spiritual battle that I face. And I would say that, we, that all of us need to work uh, at praying in the Spirit many, many sessions per day. And, I, and, I, and I, I've learned to just pray in the Spirit like when I'm driving down the road, I'm just quietly praying in the Spirit. When I'm walking to class... I'm just quietly praying in the Spirit. Not so that you'd even know that I'm doing it. Because I don't go down the street acting like a madman. <laughs> like I had a Pentecostal spell or something. <laughs> but I'm quietly praying in the Spirit. Because what that, that's doing is that's charging my inner man up. So that when I face spiritual battle, the power of the Spirit is manifest in my life. It's invaluable. It's invaluable. If you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit and don't have... The gift of tongues, I want to encourage you to seek the Lord for it. I believe it's for every believer. I believe that it, as, as you understand what, what the book of Acts is saying, and as you come to faith and realize that this is for me, I believe every believer can come into it. 
And it's not just a charismatic play toy, something to kind of feel good when you're revved up a little bit, but it's for, it's for the purpose of prayer and intercession. And most Pentecostals are guilty of talking a lot about tongues and not doing it very much. You know, that's, that's true of a lot of Pentecostal churches. They talk a lot about speaking in tongues, but they're not practicing it. As a result, the fruit and the reality is not there. It looks just like kind of a shallow, funny thing. That's what, not what God intended it to be. Learn to use your prayer language. It's one of the greatest assets God has given to you. Number six is praise. Praise is a great weapon. Just one scripture, Psalms 149, the whole psalm. In there it talks about executing the judgments of God by offering God the high praise. By offering God the high praise. That the high praise of God might be in our mouths. I believe there's a tremendous thing that happens as we praise and we worship God. I'm acquainted with uh, Youth With a Mission, and we've sent a lot of people from our group to YWAM. One of the things that they, they are really learning in their, their overseas ministry trips is that they need to spend time in praise and worship. We sent a team from our uh, fellowship and from our church to Mexico, 22 young people. <coughs> went to Mexico this summer and, and, and ministered in a city called San Luis Potosí. Every morning they spent two hours together in prayer and in worship. And, and it, was, it was a good hour of singing and, and, and sometimes two hours. And, and, and the testimony of many of those students who had really never done anything like that, they'd just been in church services once or twice a week, they said that, that learning to praise and worship every day for three weeks tra- changed my life. It's transformed me because praise is a spiritual weapon. Praise does something in the heavenly places to frustrate the powers of darkness. And I believe there's going to be breakthroughs as we praise. You might look at Psalms 81. Psalms 81 is the covenant of praise. And 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. That's the story of Jehoshaphat winning the battle because God told him to go out and praise the Lord. God did the fighting for him in that instance. I would encourage you like to get a hold of worship tapes. We have available a worship tape of, of the salt songs. The songs and choruses that we sing are so good to memorize and to have in your heart to be singing because the Word of God, see, builds us up. And uh, it's, it's just good to have choruses and, and the Word of God hidden in your heart through song. So instead of thinking about Woe is me, how bad my life is going. We have songs in our heart. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. I've got a song that's rising in my heart. And it's, it's helping me direct my mind and my thoughts towards the Lord. I encourage you to fill your life with worship music. Fill your life with, with things that, that, that elevate your spirit. Because that way you're going to be ready for the spiritual battle. Number seven is unity. Number seven is unity. We need to be in unity if we're going to see the great victories over the powers of darkness. Psalms 133. Beautiful psalm. David, or God, God says through David that where brothers dwell together in unity, there God commands the blessing. You know what Satan's strategy is? Divide and conquer. That's what he did with the northern and the southern kingdom after Solomon's times. He divided them. And what happens when we're divided? We can't stand, can we? 
And see, that's what we're the whole in the, in the history of the church. When the spirit of denominationalism gets a hold of people, and we start thinking that our group is better than any other group, Satan has managed and conveniently divided us. And we stand with our own little group and we don't recognize the whole body of Christ. And as a result, the church is weak and ineffective against the powers of darkness. Because we're divided. We're not standing together in unity. Matthew 12.25 Jesus says, A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And let me apply that to your life by saying that your prayer life will only be as effective as the unity you have with those whom you are in relationship with. Whether it's your family, your uh, spiritual family, your friends, your roommates. When things are out of sorts with my wife, when I'm not in good relationship with her, I feel like my prayers go, bam, just pop right back down on the table, you know. They just don't even make the ceiling. It's because there's a broken relationship and our prayers are hindered. But when we're in unity together, then we can pray and those prayers shoot right up to the throne room and God hears them. See, when I'm out of unity, if I've got a broken relationship with someone in the body, to some degree that limits my effectiveness in prayers. See, in prayer. And God, like I said, in order to, to, for, for the great strongholds of Satan to be broken, it's going to require that all of us pray together. I like, I remember the old picture of the battering rams in the old days of castle warfare? You know, they'd get about 30 or 40 guys and they'd get this big log, you know, and they'd you, you see them in these old movies. They come hoo, 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 up to the castle gates, and you know, and they go heave ho, you know, heave ho, you know, and, and the, the gates going. <laughs> people are back there trying to reinforce it, but finally, that battering ram breaks that gate down, and in they pour into the castle, and and they take the castle for as as victor as as victors, and that's what spiritual warfare is. And see, it takes. 30 or 40 of us to get that battering ram. Not one of, one of us can't lift the ram. It's too heavy. But we all got to work together in prayer. And there's the sense of heave, and then ho, and then heave, and then ho. And that's that sense of corporate intercession where, where God begins to put a burden on our hearts for our campus or our city. And we pray together and we're going heave, ho, against the powers of darkness that have our city in bondage, that are preventing revival and the, the going forth of God's kingdom, say, so we got to work together and we keep praying and battering those gates. And, and one, we, there's, there comes a time when we take that last bash and something happens in the heavenly places and revival begins to break out. Things begin to happen in our city and, and people start responding to the gospel. See, that's because we've won the battle in the heavenly places. That's a challenge. That's costly. That's costly praying, isn't it? And see, that's why it's, it's, prayer meetings are not real popular in American Christianity, are they? It's really hard to get people together for prayer meetings because it's costly. And, and I think that's why, it's, that's why the American church is not as effective as it could be. You know, the, 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 the great revival that's taking place in Seoul, Korea, the church there under Pastor Cho is it's over 500,000 now. And they have 1,000 people a month coming to the Lord. It's phenomenal, but just the church has just been growing and growing, and he's got something, something like three or four thousand cell meetings. And anybody that gets saved, he gets plugged into a cell meeting. His church has something like, oh, it must be three or four thousand deacons and you know four or five hundred elders, and the, they're building a building that can hold 
thirty or forty thousand. I mean, it just gets ridiculous, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's wonderful what God is doing. But you know, the one the thing that we don't mention about Pastor Cho is that they have a prayer mountain. They bought a park in the middle of Seoul, made it into a park. It's just it's just a rocky hill, and they carved out little grottos and caves. And every hour of the day, there are at least hundreds of people there praying. There are people that, that, that go at, to work at 5 a.m., they go to Prayer Mountain, they pray for an hour, and then they go to their job. By the hundreds and thousands, the people come to this prayer park to pray. And there's people that go and, and take fasts there. And if you want spiritual help, you can go to some of these older saints in the Lord. Some of them are younger, too. But you can go and you can be ministered to. And they spend weeks there in prayer and fasting. That's why that church is growing. We look at the method and think, wow, if I can just get the right cell groups and do this and do that, we're going to have the same success. No, you've got to win the, the battle in the heavenly places. And I believe we'll only do that in unity. When we're dealing with Satan, you cannot take the posture of appeasement. You've got to totally defeat him. You've got to be ruthless and go after him. It's like we read that verse from Psalms 18 where David said, I pursued my enemy. I crushed them down like dust. I pursued them until they were all finished. And that has to be our posture against the powers of darkness. You can't strike a truce with them. Saying, well, Satan, you know, you do this and I'll do this and we'll just kind of peacefully coexist. He'll never keep his end of the bargain. So you've got to pursue him all the way and defeat him. You can't make any kind of pacts or compromises. Satan is disturbed only when we use the weapons. The, the, the message that you've heard here on spiritual warfare will only be as effective as you apply it to your life and seek to use the weapons that God has given us. But I guarantee if you use them, your life's going to count for eternity. Your life through prayer is going to count. count it's going to affect countless other people. You may never know all that you affected until the judgment day. But you're going to have a great inheritance with Jesus as the rewards are given out on the judgment day. Because I believe the people that are going to get the greatest rewards are the people that prayed in the prayer closets. Billy Graham's going to have a grand reward. But there's a lot of folks that we don't even know about that Jesus is going to bring out. And then he's going to reward them. And some of the people that we think are so great, the people that are up front all the time like me, I'm not so sure we're going to get that great of reward. It's God who sees in secret is going to openly reward those who have been faithful to him. So let that be a word of encouragement. Spiritual battle is something that's done in, in the quietness of your prayer closet or in the corporate strength of a prayer meeting where no one really sees what's going on. It's not popular, but it will ultimately be where the victory of the church is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I want to thank you for these brothers and sisters that are really desiring, Lord, to be warriors for you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the hunger that they've shown to know you, Lord, to, to, to move ahead. I pray, Lord, you'll grant us all the grace to apply these principles to our lives that we might be effective from this day forth in your name. I pray that you'll bring things to remembrance that we need to know and that you'll begin to teach us these principles, Lord, as we, as we go away from this conference. I want to pray, for, Lord, for those who aren't baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you'll give them an opportunity to receive this gracious gift, the gracious ability to pray in the Spirit and to be built up 
and be prepared for the battle that we face. And above all, Lord, bless your children. Bless us and prepare us as we go now in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.